0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is a very complex study where we are, where we're picking up tonight and where we left off last Wednesday night. Um, I realized that some of the things that we've been talking about in the last two Bible studies about the Lord Jesus being the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected. Uh, That's a complex study, but it is impacted with a lot of chill and awe and depth if you're really hungry for the Word. And then last Wednesday night, we talked about this strange individual who just appears in the Scripture And his name is Melchizedek. And we want to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Uh, And we're looking at verse uh, number nine. That's the verse that we are discussing at the moment. But I want to go back and read for you beginning in verse number eight. Actually, let's go back to verse seven. Uh, And we'll read verse seven and eight that will uh, launch us into a continual uh, study of verse number nine as well. And so if you're watching at home, I encourage you to get your Bibles and open to First Peter chapter two with us, and I hope that you're ready to study the word at home as well. In verse number seven, the scripture says, Unto you therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, or and remember, class, we talked about that word meaning rejected the stone that the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. In our scripture of last week and tonight, we begin with verse 9. This is complicated, and that's why I wanted to go back and give you a little uh, heads up of how this verse begins to take form and shape because it's not talking about a chosen people. It's talking about a chosen generation. We know that the Jewish people have always been God's chosen people. That's how he worked in the Old Testament. And we esteem them with high regard in that manner even today. However, things were a little different under the law and things are different under grace. So keeping that in mind, Peter says this, but ye... He said, ye are a chosen generation. Now, he did not say people here. And that's that's an important thing for me to bring out. And he says this, a royal priesthood, not a ritual priesthood. Under the order of Aaron, the tribe of Levi, who performed ceremonial... Duties, as a high priest, it was done in the manner of rituals, especially on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, when the priest, he would take the sacrificial animal, he would take a lamb, hold it up for 14 days to make sure it was spotless. And if that particular lamb proved to be that kind of a sacrifice, then the priest would offer it as a sacrifice. In this particular case, he would offer it up once a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for the sins of the nation of Israel. And here's the deal. Where Jesus was our Lamb, who took our sins, the high priest in this ceremony that God, by the way, instituted, commanded. The high priest would do this on an annual basis, but it wasn't to take away the sin of the world. Do you remember what John the Baptist said as Jesus was majestically walking down to the Jordan? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So the duty or the ceremony of the high priest uh, under the law, it was not, that these sacrificial animals would take away the sin of the world. It was that the sacrificial animals would atone, would cover the sins for a period of one year. And then the next year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would have to do the same thing. So Jesus, our Lamb, took away our sin. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The sacrificial animals of the Old Testament just covered the sins of the nation of Israel for the people for the period of one year. And that's that's tremendous uh, because as under the law, these sacrificial animals had to ritually, routinely be sacrificed. Jesus, our Lamb is or was sacrificed one time, once and for all. So what the blood of the bulls or calves or goats or lambs or sheep, whatever it was, what that blood, because God always required blood for his justice. That goes all the way back to the offering of Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden. God accepted Cain's offering or Abel's offering he rejected Cain's offering God was interested in the blood sacrifice however now this this day of atonement covered it did not take away it covered the sins of Israel for the period of a year so i emphasize in verse number 9 because We're not talking about a chosen people per se. We're talking about a chosen generation. Look at it. And not a ritual priesthood, but a royal priesthood. This changes things. And then the scripture says, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we talked about the ritual priesthood and the royal priesthood. This interesting fellow that showed up last week in our study, Melchizedek, he was in the realms of a royal priesthood. And he served before the days of Aaron and momentarily. He was a picture, a fixture of things to come. That's how many of the Old Testament teachings are manifested to us. It's a shadow of things to come. And so here, an order of the priesthood in Melchizedek's situation, and some of you may have not ever heard of his name before. Maybe you had no idea he was even in the Bible. What his office was, what he did, where he was from, and we enlightened you a little bit from the book of Hebrews last Wednesday night of exactly what the Scripture says about him. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he was introducing himself as prophet, priest, and king. And as we said last week, the Jews had a hard time with this. It was was very difficult for them to embrace because Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. And uh, it was an Old Testament custom where only priests could be of the tribe of Levi. So that in itself, you know, we talk about how the Jews could not accept Jesus as the Messiah because he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He was born in a humble place and he was born of a in a lowly estate, so to speak, and uh, they, they just could not embrace the fact that this was their Messiah. They envisioned him uh, coming in, blazing on a stallion, and delivering them from the Roman Empire, and all of these wonderful things. And that's not how God chose to introduce Jesus to the world. And so, yes, they had a very difficult time with that. But this element here also, uh, they wondered how could Christ be a priest when he was going to be a king because the priest could not be a king. That was also something very difficult for them to reason with. I mean, how could a descendant of David come on the same tribe of Judah? How could he be a king as well? So how could he reach the office reserved for the descendants from the, the tribe of Levi, they they struggle deeply with this. And, and perhaps in, in the Orthodox world today, they still do in a great way. But the answer is simple. And here's what I want you to know. In comparison to verse number nine, that the priesthood of Christ would be derived from the prior and the superior order of Melchizedek, which came on the scene in the days of Abraham and not in the days of Aaron, and it wouldn't be from the latter part in the order of Aaron. The Jew, Jesus, he would not be. He would not be a ritual priest like Aaron, but he would be a royal priest from the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is where we come into play with this. Because in Christ, in Christ, in grace, in Christ, we now have all become. And there's, a, I realize there's a mountain of theology in this, and 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 I get that. Um, this 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 is not a seminary environment, and I and I do and I understand that every time I preach. But the truth of the matter is. We are all commissioned to be priests. Let me explain that to you. Jesus said this, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, who did he commission to do that? Was it just the 12? Absolutely not if we want to talk about numbers, there were more than 12 in the upper room. In fact, there were 120 men and women. They, when Jesus spoke these words prior to his ascension, this is what he declared to us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So Understanding these words of Jesus, we too, all of us, in Christ, we are God's sovereign priest. Now, you might not have been ordained at an altar to do that. But we have to remember this, that in the Old Testament, the only people recognized to be priest... We're from the tribe of Levi and the lineage of Aaron. Things dramatically changed in the New Testament. So our priesthood, it comes from the priesthood of the Lord Jesus himself. Now Jesus is in the presence of God acting as our high priest but we have all been commissioned to be God's sovereign priest. I want to give you a couple of scriptures here. We're going to come back to 1 Peter in a minute, but I want you to look at this in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, let's look at verse, let's say, verse number 14. Let's start there, and I want to read for you through verse number 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then we have a great... High priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So don't ever get into such a pity party where you say Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't understand. He certainly understands. And this scripture is clear about that. But verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. But then in chapter nine, let's look there for a minute. In Hebrews chapter nine, I want you to look with me in verse number 24. And I want to read for you through verse 28. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood or with blood of others. You, we've just given you the explanation about that on the day of atonement the day of Yom Kippur every year this was done on the day of atonement verse 26 for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment so christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation so going back to the thought now in christ the lord has made us he's made us priests He's made us kings to intercede on behalf of others. One quick scripture here. Let's go to the Revelation chapter one, and let me find verse number six here for you, real quickly. Revelation one six. You say, "Well, He's made us kings, uh, and and uh, He's made us priests." Absolutely. This is what the word says. Revelation one verse six. And hath made us kings and priest unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter is breaking this down for us in such a way that he is saying in the Old Testament under the law things were done one way, but now under grace in the New Testament things are done in a much different way. And in verse number 9, Peter carries this uh, even a little farther because he says this in First Peter 2.9. He said, not only are you a chosen generation and not only are you a royal priesthood. You've just read in Revelation where we have all been made priests and kings. But notice this. He said, a holy nation. And this word nation... Here, in the context of this scripture, it's talking about Gentiles. So keep that in mind as we study the word. This is, this is in direct reference to Gentiles. So not only was there a chosen people, and we recognize that in the Old Testament, but now there is a chosen generation. And finally, in this verse, Peter mentions a peculiar people. This is a a magnificent definition and declaration of who we are, and this is talking about the fact that we are God's own. Now, in this realm of being a chosen generation, we are God's own special people. As in the days of the Old Testament, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. Now, we, as Gentiles, in Christ... We have now become part of the family of God's own special people. He personally owns us. We're not our own. We know what the scripture teaches. We have been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to reference these scriptures on the screen, but if you're writing, taking notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20 and also 1 Peter 1.19. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus, he has made us his children. And and here's the thing, and, and we will be discussing this more closely in this new series coming up, but there is absolutely no true child of God who can keep bottled up inside of them what the Lord Jesus has done for them. If you claim to be saved and you feel that it's your God-given responsibility to keep inside and confined inside what Christ has done for you, it raises many or much spiritual doubt in my mind, and not judging. I don't that's what I have to be very careful about what I need some prayer with in this series because I'm not going to preach this series with bitterness but with burden and because I am nobody's judge there's only one Holy Spirit I mention that all the time there's only one I cannot be your spiritual policeman that's not God's mission purpose calling for my life but I do have a responsibility to preach the word with passion and conviction No true child of God can keep bottled up inside of them what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's impossible. That's why he said, what I have done and what you have seen, he said, I want you to take it to the world. I want you to go into all the world and preach it to everybody. Don't keep it bottled up inside. We... We cannot keep what the Lord has done for us in the four walls of this building. That's not the purpose. And so we have to testify. We we all have a testimony. Every one of us were born into this world in sin. Every one of us were born on our road to hell. All of us. Something happened along the way in your life and my life. Somehow, somewhere at some point in some time you heard the gospel you did not come out of the womb singing jesus loves me that's not how it worked at some and we were we were born on our way to hell something somebody that was a happening divine appointment that happened in our life when we were exposed to the gospel at some point Our eyes were open to the fact that we were lost and undone without God. At some point, our eyes and our heart, our mind was open to the fact that without Jesus, we were going to die and go to hell. Some point in our life, our heart and our mind was open that, hey, if we did not give our hearts to the Lord, there was no other way for us to be saved, no other way to get to him, no other way to have a relationship with him. He was the only way. And when we recognize what he has done for us on the cross, our hearts and our minds have been opened to the truth. We have received the truth. It's absolutely impossible to keep what he did for us on the brutality of the cross bottled up inside of us. Friend, I would explode. How could anybody that says they're born again keep bottled up inside what jesus has done for you and i don't say that in judgment i say that in truth how can we do that so peter now in verse number 10 let's look at this in 1st peter 2:10 he says this which in time past were not a people you see In times past, we we were not always saved. We were not always part of his family, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So Peter, he reflects on the truth that there was a time when we as Gentiles were not part of his family. One primary reason for that is because the door to the Gentiles had not always been open. That door to the Gentiles, God made it clear that he was opening the door of faith on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house down in Joppa. And so... We were given the opportunity to come into his family. Thank God he did open the door to the Gentiles. Can somebody say amen? He opened the door to us. He came into his own and his own received him not. And God said, if you won't receive me, he said, I'm going to extend. I'm going to invite others to come into this royal priesthood, this This thing of grace. I'm going to invite others. And so I thank God that he did open the door to us. Now look at verse number 11. Dearly beloved. Now Peter's preaching now. And I'll have to close with verse number 11 tonight. Dearly beloved. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now I like this word pilgrim because a pilgrim it is is typified as a person who is on a journey and certainly we're on a journey we know that this world is not our home you've heard the song we're just passing through now when we become christians the holy spirit takes up resident permanent residence in our in our soul now this is in contrast to this passage about being on a journey as strangers and pilgrims because As a believer in Christ, we are now heading for a home. And one of the symbols, by the way, of the Holy Spirit is a dove. At my dad's funeral, if you attended the graveside service when we got to the cemetery, at the grave we had, and uh, it's the first time that I have orchestrated this, Uh, In my uh, officiating funerals, I've seen this done maybe twice, maybe three times at the most, but I have never officiated a funeral graveside service in this manner before. But we had what is called the releasing of the doves, and we had someone come that had a crate, a crate of doves, and it was sitting on the ground. One was sitting on a little podium, and the idea of the thing is that when the caretaker of the dove or doves took that one out from among the rest of them, they gave a description of what the dove in the scripture represents. It represents the Holy Spirit. But the point being, because we were at the grave, it was very well illustrated how that when a person in Christ, I talked about this much today, a person in Christ, when they take their last breath on this earth, their soul immediately goes to be with the Lord. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You would be surprised. People think that somehow... Supernaturally, when the coffin's lowered in the ground, the body goes to heaven, and it's just all kinds of crazy stuff. But the truth of the matter is our soul, the real you. See, the body's just the house. It's where your spirit, your soul lives. And when you die in Christ, immediately, your spirit, your soul goes to be with the Lord. Immediately. They lower your body into the ground. Now, when they released the single dove, it was a picture Of the spirit, the soul, immediately flying from the body and going to be with the Lord. Then they released the three, which represented God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, representing this that we won't, none of us will have to cross Jordan alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm glad that when we take our last breath, my mother asked me this question. Uh, When my father took his last breath, she said to me in tears, she said, do you think, do you believe that, that an angel escorted him to heaven? And I said, well, you know, you think about this. In the scriptures, when you read the story about the rich man and Lazarus, you'd be surprised there's a whole lot about the Bible I don't know. And when when people really put on their thinking caps and really want to get to the hypotheticals, I just have to be straight up, and there are some things I don't know. There are mysteries of God I don't know. I don't even know that we'll even want to know when we get to heaven. We'll be so preoccupied with what's going on over there. How in the world are we going to come up with questions? Why did this happen? Why, Man, we're going to be singing amazing grace 10,000 years. None of this stuff will matter. But she said, Do you, you know, when you read the story about the rich man of Lazarus, you read it carefully, and the Bible says this. Now, When the rich man died, he really virtually, he split hell wide open. But when Lazarus died, do you remember what the word says? And an angel carried him into Abraham's bosom. Now, I don't know that it divinely works exactly like that to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I know it happens like this. But I know this also, that when the rapture takes place, there's a lot of things happening like that. Like this, the dead in Christ will rise. Like this, all of us who are in Christ who which alive and remain will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. And like this, we're going to receive a glorified body that's fashioned and likened unto his own glorified body. So it's not going to be, it's all going to be in the twinkling of an eye. So I don't know when the soul leaves the body in Christ and going straight to the presence of the Lord if we are accompanied by an angel, but that's the way it worked for Lazarus. And then the others that were in that little crate, when she turned them all loose, and it was a picture of, Yes, the soul going being with the Lord and we would not have to cross and make the journey by ourselves. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit would be with us. But then on that day of resurrection, there would be many going as well. You know the, the ironic thing about all those doves? The caretaker told me, they said, when we release these doves, they are all trained. They will be back in their crates where we live before I can drive my car and get to my house. They they were going home. And when you think about this right here, we're on a journey, we're pilgrims, but all of us, listen, we're all headed for the same place in Christ. We have a destination. Heaven is our goal, heaven is our home. You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot for more information. Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.